Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, July 27, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. We're just six days from baseball's trade deadline. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. Sarah Abbott's working from Nebraska. Yes, Sarah, if I did, I have that right because you're traveling all over the place. <laughs> no, I'm actually back home in West oh, Hartford. Sh- but. Okay. You know, honest mistake, honest mistake. <laughs> uh, and next week, uh, we all get to be in the same room post-trade deadline. Fired up to tape that uh, tape that uh, segment. I think we're going to have Jeff Passon. We're going to have Sarah Langs, you know, in a podcast that will come sh- out shortly after we hit that deadline. Last night, a really cool moment in Toronto. Broadcaster Buck Martinez returned to the television booth following his long absence. He was diagnosed with cancer in April. Listen to the reception that he got when his return was announced on the big screen. Fans, please join the Toronto Blue Jays as we welcome back a familiar voice we know and love. Back in the broadcast booth, Buck Martinez. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Buck Martinez was tapping his heart. Thank you. He, he's such a great guy. And that was neat to see last night. Uh, there was also a cool moment in Fenway Park. David Ortiz, new Hall of Famer, was given a big welcome home and spoke to the crowd. And the most important thing, I want to thank all the fans, all the Red Sox fans worldwide. Because without you guys, trust me, this would never happen. Every time I walk into this field and see it all to see full, just expecting enough to come through to win, that was a motivation for me to come through and try to do it better and better and better every day. But that didn't help the Red Sox. They faced the Guardians last night. Austin Hedges is known for his defense, but he provided some offense for Cleveland. Kevin Pulwet, or rather uh, Austin Hedges, I beg your pardon, smashes one over the green monster and it's two to nothing, Guardians. Yeah, you knew that one as soon as it left the bat. Home run number six on the year for Hedges. Yeah, and the Guardians win eight to three. The Red Sox really at a tipping point on whether or not to buy or sell and what to do with their players. We'll be talking about that with Jeff Passan coming up. Meanwhile, as the Red Sox lost, the Orioles faced the Rays and they would come back. Poche sets, he throws, and a swing and a fly ball to left field, it's deep. A Rosarena going back, he's on the track, he's at the wall, it's another late game home run for Ramon Arias, and the Orioles have taken the lead. That from WBAL, the Orioles went 5-3. to three. Taylor, I, I, I gotta, do I need to go get my prescription check? Because I'm looking at the standings today, and, and I'm, the American League East standings, and I don't see the Orioles in fifth place. Where'd they go? Buster, adjust your eyesight just up one level to fourth place out of the cellar. We are very excited in Baltimore, uh, maybe a little too excited, but it's been a long time. Second winning consecutive winning month in like five or six years. I mean, it's it's craziness. So it's a lot of fun uh, watching these guys come out and play every night. Let's get the series, boys. No doubt about it. And that's one of the questions I have for Jeff. What are the Orioles going to do leading up the trade deadline? They are over 500. 
In New York last night, the Mets and the Yankees in the first of two games in the Subway Series. In the top of the first inning, the Yankees jumped on the Mets. High drive, right center field. There it goes. See ya. Another home run for Judge. one nothing Yankees. That one is driven out to left field and deep. Going back, Kano. He's on the track, looking up. See ya. Back-to-back home runs. Rizzo hasn't had a home run in 14 games. He connects going the other way. And just like that, 2 nothing Yanks. That was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. But you know what? The Mets would come back. Montgomery deals. And a liner to left center. That's a base hit. It's going to tie the game. The door around third will score easily. The ball goes to the wall. Picked up by Judge on the warning track. Alonzo to second. Pumps his fist. Waving it a couple of times at the Mets dugout. He's got a double at his major league leading 83rd run at it in of the year. The Mets have come right back to tie it. Two to two here in the last of the first. That was a great Howie Rose with that call. That inning would continue to Ordo Escobar at the plate. Alonzo leads from second. The 1-0. Swing and a drive in the air to left. Well hit. Hicks going back. Turns. Watches. It is gone. A two-run homer by Eduardo Escobar into the city seats in front of the Great Wall of Flushing. Beyond the 358 mark. It's a two-run homer for Escobar. It is his 12th home run of the year. And the Mets have taken a 4-2 lead over the Yankees here in the first inning. It's home run derby in Flushing. Yeah, and Jordan Montgomery, who started for the Yankees, struggled when he came out of the game when Aaron Boone relieved him. He looked at Boone and said, why? And so everyone was wondering after the Mets 6-3 win what Jordan Montgomery would say about his pitching performance. Just couldn't get him not fouled off. Um, Felt like I had pretty good stuff. It's just... uh, Guess I'll do a bad one. How frustrating is it for you when you can't finish guys off? You get ahead a lot of times and just not able to to get the out. Real frustrating. Um, felt like I was making decent pitches, but they must have had a really good game plan against me, and um, it's a really good lineup. So I've uh, just got to be better. Here's Aaron Boone on that decision to pull Jordan Montgomery. It seemed like he was surprised that you had come out to get him. Do you like the fact that he wanted to stay out there? Did you have an additional yeah, conversation I, with look, him? Look, that's the thing about Monty. You know, he's he always wants the ball, wants to compete, wants to whether it's going great or you know a night like tonight where it's strug, you know, he's struggling. He wants to compete, but you know, at that point where you know just the kind of at bats they were having against them, you know, being up over seventy pitches already there in the third inning, you know, um, I just felt like that was the time. Pete Alonso spoke with SNY Steve Gelbs. Well, Pete, personally, you stay hot on base four times, three hits, none bigger though than that first inning double that tied the score. I know it was so early, but just in that dugout on the field, how much of a momentum swing did that feel like in that bottom half of that first inning? I mean, it was, it was a great collective effort. I mean, we're a resilient bunch, and I think the I think the best at-bat of the day was Eduardo Escobar hitting the two-run homer. I mean, that that really topped off the, the first inning and, and set the tone for the rest of the game. We're a resilient bunch, like I said, and it was just – it was just awesome to, to come back swinging like the way we did in that after being down. So the Mets win. The Braves played the Phillies, and Michael Harris, the second, built on his rookie of the year case. Oh, two pitch on the way. Fly ball to deep right. That'll be sending back Castellanos. There it goes. Michael Harris with a home run. 
Homer number nine for Michael Harris. And it's now 2-0 Atlanta as the Braves end that homerless drought and goes back to last few ball games. Yeah, the guy who's probably competing with him right now for that award, number one, would be Spencer Strider, who dominated for the Braves in their 6-3 victory. Fernando Tatis Jr. is back in the batter's box, and the Padres' $340 million star could face live pitching later this week. He took batting practice with his teammates before Tuesday's game against the Tigers. He's expected to be back sometime around August to begin a early August to begin a minor league rehab assignment. And then that'll probably be another eight or nine days, the minors, before he comes back. Shohei Otani added to his war total last night against the Royals. That's out towards center field. That had a good sound to it. That's got some carry. Back at the wall. It is gone. Shohei Otani with a 21st home run. one nothing Halos. On the way to a 6-0 victory. Last night, Mariners and Rangers. Seattle wins 5-4. Here was a turning point. And the 0-1 pitch, the Cal, swing and a drive, into the gap in right center field, down extra bases, watch JP fly, out from underneath his helmet, Ronnie third being waved in by Manny, the relay to the plate, and safe at home for that first slide, JP Crawford, Cal rally in at second, with an RBI double is tight in at 4-4. Four four. As old friend Dan Patrick who would say, you can't stop the Mariners, you can only hope to contain them. Cubs and the Pirates played in what essentially a meaningless game, except for Wilson Contreras having perhaps his last plate appearance as a Cub in Wrigley Field. Give a listen. Now the fans realize, Ron, this might be the final at-bat of the day, which means it could be the final at-bat as a Chicago Cub for Wilson Contreras here at Wrigley Field, and they give him a full standing ovation. Wilson taking a minute before stepping in. He waves to the crowd. Contreras steps in the box. Great moment. That was Pat Hughes on the Cubs radio network. After the Cubs 42 victory, Wilson Contreras spoke with the Marquee Sports Network with a farewell message to Cubs fans. Uh, I would like to say that I love you all. Thanks for everything. Thanks for everything you guys uh, did for, for me and my family. I got a, a lot of um, good relationship with, with some friends from Chicago, um, and I'm pretty sure um, I'm going to love him forever. So thanks for everything, and I wish uh, I could play for you guys, but this is a vision. I understand that. I love you all. Taylor, what else you got? Busta, busta. A couple things to remote ESPN in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions present not just football with Cam Hayward. Each week, fans get a peek behind the curtain of NFL life. Pittsburgh Steelers defensive tackle and five-time pro bowler Cam Hayward gives his unfiltered thoughts on the league and headlines across all sports. That's not just football with Cam Hayward. Listen wherever you get your podcast. Also, keep watching the captain, everyone. He was the face of the New York Yankees, a five-time World Series champion, the most popular and admired player in baseball and one of the greatest sports superstars of any age. The captain tells the story of Derek Jeter's life and Hall of Fame career anchored by exclusive, extensive, unprecedentedly candid interviews with Jeter alongside family and dozens of teammates, rivals and observers. Catch episode three Thursday, July 29th at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN and of course streaming it on ESPN+. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. 
The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Jeff Passon covers baseball for ESPN. And with six days before the trade deadline, Jeff, that means turning you into a wind-up toy. Where I'm just going to basically say the name of a team, I'm going to say the name of a player, and I'm just going to let you go. Does that make sense? Uh, works for me, Buster. All right. So let's uh, run through it. But first, but before we do that, uh, before we go full wind-up toy, I want to ask you about the fact that there have been so few deals to this point. Because what I've done, you know, said when I've gone on radio in different cities is don't worry about it. There's going to be a rash of stuff that's going to happen because just about every contender is at least going to add a reliever, and then there are going to be other big names too. What do you think? Three days ago, I was told by a high-ranking executive there's going to be nothing over the next few days. Wait about 72 hours, and that's when the uh, ice is going to begin to crack, and uh, you're going to see some stuff coming out. So I'm just waiting for today, tomorrow. I think that's when things are going to start moving. Part of me wonders if Juan Soto actually is going to have some kind of resolution sooner than we may think uh, the, you know, the rationale there is this is not a deal that the Washington nationals want to do with a deadline staring them down where the deadline may uh, inadvertently compel them to do something. Otherwise, I think they want to have a pretty clear head. So uh, I wonder if we're going to know sooner than later where Juan Soto is going. All right. You put it on a tee for yourself. What do you got? Well, the San Diego Padres, I think, still are the favorites in the clubhouse at this point. If a deal happens before August 2nd, they have the prospects, they have the motivation. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure how big of a player St. Louis is going to be there, considering how focused the Cardinals are on pitching right now. And and frankly, that's understandable. The, they have an acute need for pitching at this point. And with the number of controllable arms that are available, Buster, and the depth of their farm system, the Cardinals are in a position to make moves, plural, and, and big, impactful moves. And, and I think what what's happened over the last few days is it's been awfully interesting to see how many 
controllable starting pitchers are available right now. That is the most flooded segment of the market because beyond Castillo and Montas, you've now got Tariq Skubal in play. Uh, the Houston Astros are considering moving one of their starters because they've got six on the big league roster right now uh, with Verlander, Valdez, Garcia, Javier, Urquidy, and Odorizzi. They've got Lance McCullers Jr. on his way back, pitching rehab games to AAA. And they've got Hunter Brown at AAA already. So, you know, they're dealing with eight quality big league starting pitchers. So moving one to try and get either, uh, say, Josh Bell right now uh, or some prospect capital to turn around and get uh, a bat, uh, whether it's Bell, Contreras, someone else, I think is is a very real thing. Um, I don't know how I ended up on starting pitching when we're talking about Juan Soto. So let's get back <laughs> on to Soto. That's uh, hey, that's this time of year, right? You can you can hop from one uh, rock yeah, to the next. Yeah, I I don't think the Dodgers are going to be real players here. Um, I I think you brought up the Rays in your story a couple days ago, and it makes complete sense. The idea of Juan Soto being an arbitrage play, right? Like you deal from prospect capital right now, you get a deadline run this year and at least half of a season next year. And then you reassess and maybe you keep him for the deadline next year and move him in the off season and get back 50 to 60 percent. Maybe you trade him at the deadline next year and get back 75 or 80 percent. And you've gotten a year of Juan Soto at a depressed salary where he's clearly going to be producing significantly more value than you've paid for him. So while the Rays could go and do that, uh, it would be awfully cost prohibitive, I think, to do so. And and then I wonder if there's the the mystery. Can I jump in, Jeff, just real quick, I jump in there for a team like the Rays. The risk is just too great, right? Yeah. Well, or let's say yeah. you trade. You know, you give the uh, the the Nationals what they want. You trade four or five, you know, prime young players, and let's and you know, you obviously, don't want this to happen. You know, Juan Soto suffers a catastrophic injury for a sure. team like the Rays. That's just too much risk. Which I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen for them or some of the other small market teams who couldn't take a look at it. The Rays have a multiplier on control that is higher than every other team out there. Control is more valuable to the Rays than everyone else. And so giving up that type of control, you know, let's say they had to deal Taj Bradley, Curtis Mead, Josh Lowe, and that would just be the beginning of it. Um, That is something that, frankly, if they want to continue playing at the level they do and not just being a team that, you know, has a window and then tanks and then has a window and tanks. The The miracle of the Rays is that they've actually maintained this window for longer than teams of their market size uh, and revenue typically do. So yeah. in order to do that, I think they need to stick to the plan. It has worked. It hasn't gotten them a ring yet, but it's gotten them awfully close. Um, I, I wonder if there's a, a team out there, Buster, that, 
has a chance to backdoor this. And, and it's, listen, it's awfully late in the process for, for backdooring things. You, you look at teams that have priorities on winning now or over the next couple of years, Texas is one of them. Rangers have a really good farm system. I think it's sneaky good and people don't realize just how deep they are. They're a team that probably could do it, but it comes down to motivation. And I, I wrote this yesterday and I'm going to stand by it right now. Mike Rizzo is asking teams for 125% of Juan Soto's value. If by the time he decides whether he's going to deal Juan Soto or not, that value ask doesn't drop, he's going to be a national on August 2nd. If that value ask does drop, I think there's a real chance that he could be dealt. So, uh, you know, when I'm when when people posit the question to me, is Soto going, I, I feel bad that my answer isn't a yes or no. It's a depends, but it really is an answer dependent on how motivated the nationals are to move him. Are they so motivated that they will only take top value or are they motivated enough that they'll take a lesser package? And that's what executives at this point are waiting for. And I I feel like that uh, if you were to line it up, you, the Padres to me are the most motivated team in the market to get him. Uh, the Cardinals would be the team most capable to make a deal if they chose Agreed. to. And I do Agreed. think that if you're in the Cardinals front office, I made this case on radio yesterday in St. Louis. If you're in the Cardinals front office and you're looking at the starting pitching market, I mean, let's face it, there are not a lot of great options out there if you don't get Luis Castillo and, and, and he probably is not accessible uh, for the Cardinals because the, the Reds are not necessarily going to deal in the division to the Cardinals. Uh, I've wondered about the Mariners. You know, you talked about a team backdooring. The Mariners clearly are in their window. Uh, You know, maybe he would be a fit there, but the Padres are motivated. And, and, you know, in that conversation in St. Louis yesterday, I mentioned, if you look at the histories of these superstar for massive prospect deals, almost all of them, (laughs) almost every single one works out so that the team that got the superstar got the better value, which is why, you know, when I was, uh, it was mentioned yesterday, well, we wouldn't, Cardinals would be reluctant on on Jordan Walker. I don't know, you know, no, I'm like, no, I'm sorry. This is an inner circle, all-time great player at 23 years old, whatever. Put him in the package and move it along. What do you think? I think that it is not easy to get top prospects to the big leagues, But it's reasonable that if you're a top prospect, you are going to be a big leaguer and you're going to have every opportunity to succeed. But I was talking with the GM yesterday and and we agreed superstars are unicorns. There's no formula to take a guy and turn him into a superstar. You just get lucky as hell that one of the players you drafted or signed and developed turns into one. So when the opportunity to get a guy of that ilk is out there at a depressed price, no less. Yep. I mean, let, let's remember Juan Soto's making 17 this year, probably between probably 24, 25 next year, 32 to 35 the year after, even though you're going to be paying 60 some odd million dollars to him for those two and a half years. Uh, another 
executive a couple of days ago was saying to me, I could reasonably expect Juan Soto to be putting up seven plus wins above replacement a year. You look at the multiplier on wins above replacement, somewhere between eight and $10 million in value. And you're talking 130 to $160 million yes. in value over the next two and a half years. So yeah, like get that guy. If you're trying to win now, get the star. No, no doubt about it. Uh, and then as to the question of whether or not he's going to be traded, I would say this, you know, when we did uh, the story in mid-May about, uh, you know, the possibility and the question being asked, you know, would Soto be put out on the market in mm-hmm. part because of the ownership transfer in Washington? At that time, the response from Mike Rizzo was, we're not trading him. I, you know, I want to make that clear right. to everybody. This is not going to happen. And all of a sudden he did a 180. And, I, I, you know, my question would be to Mike, uh, what changed? And I believe what I believe, and we'll find out for sure before the deadline, is that he basically has been told you have to, we need resolution. You have to get him either signed or you have to get him traded. Uh, and, well, and we'll- here's, and, and here's the reason. So uh, this shows you where, uh, how my brain works. And I don't know if others are thinking along the same lines of me, but how the baseball brain works because it's, you know, it's a little bit different. My instinct initially when I heard this was that the nationals could keep Juan Soto in order to give the new owner a first right of refusal, right? Like the new owner is going to come in and say, I want to meet this guy and I I want to understand what makes him so special. And I want to give my contract offer to him and pitch him to stay around. And and somebody a few days ago was like, no, 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 no. You got it all backward. What a new owner is going to want is not to have his or her first move as the steward of this team to be to get rid of a future Hall of Famer in his absolute prime. They're trying to come in with the slate completely clean so they can wash their hands of the Juan Soto trade if and when it does happen. And I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty freaking good point. And so if there's anything right now, Buster, that tells me Juan Soto is going to move before August 2nd, it's that logic that what they're doing right now is a favor and a boon to a new owner, as opposed to hamstringing that person. No doubt about it. And then that's my experience covering baseball. You know, when the Padres were up for sale, when I covered that team, uh, behind the scenes, the incoming owners pulled the strings. You know, they had yeah. this massive 12-player trade with the Astros. That was all about John Moores and Larry Lucchino coming in. Like, mm-hmm. And so behind the scenes, as a, a, a team is transferred, not only baseball, by the way, any business transfers from one ownership to the next, the incoming owners will pull a lot of strings. I think that's exactly what's going on here. I thought it for a couple months that in the end, the incoming owners will not, let's call it the Derek Jeter. Because I thought Derek, his big mistake when he took over the Marlins was like, hey, we're the new owners, we're here. Oh yeah, we're trading Stanton, we're trading Alex, we're trading. Like, you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, and uh, and that's why I think Soto is going to be traded before we get to the deadline. All right, tell me what you got on Luis Castillo. 
the market is hot right now, and you've got a lot of motivated teams in there. Uh, the New York Yankees, for as great as their starting pitching was early on this season, there have been some cracks there. There are questions about health. And listen, they can't go into another postseason with, Garrett Cole and a bunch of question marks. And so Castillo is the best arm on the market. And uh, if the Yankees want him, then they certainly can and probably should go out and get him. But, uh, you know, Seattle is going to be right there with them. Um, San Diego maybe is a hedge against not getting Soto and still wanting to improve their club and, having just lost Mackenzie Gore to an elbow injury for who knows how long uh, is in there. Uh, the Minnesota twins have been uh, not aggressive, but they have, you know, dating back to spring training, they have long wanted to improve their starting pitching. Uh, and, and then there's the Cardinals buster. And look right now, I think you can say pretty reasonably that the Mets are better than the Cardinals. The Braves are better than the Cardinals. Yep. The Dodgers are better than the Cardinals and the Padres are better than the Cardinals. They're right there with the Brewers, but the, the calculus for teams right now, and, and we see this not just for cusp of the playoff teams, um, but for teams like Boston and San Francisco that are sort of lingering around 500 and could go in any direction. Um, the calculus there is how, not just how are we doing, but how do we compare to the best teams in our league? And do we see a reasonable path to a ring? Like just how crazy do things have to get in the postseason for us to conceivably win a championship? And if what we are here for is to win championships and everything tells us, you know, no matter how crazy baseball is, everything tells us that this is not going to be our year. Is it worth jumping in and trying to sell? And I suppose the counter argument to that uh, is a two-word answer. Uh, Atlanta Braves. We're literally coming off of a championship by a team that looked dead in the water at the deadline. But uh, I think the Braves are the anomaly. And, and to compare yourself to them, it takes an awful lot of magical thinking. All right, I'm going to throw a bunch at you. We're going to go uh, rapid fire. 30 seconds. We'll put a clock on it if you want, uh, Taylor. Uh, Frankie Montas, what's his value? Five innings yesterday, seven hits, three walks, three runs. Frankie Montas, are we clocking, Taylor? Sure. I'll run a clock. Yeah, here. you got it. No, here's what you're going to do, Taylor. You got to, I, I need to see my clock because I need to be like a shooter who understands when he's getting down to one. <laughs> All right. All right, I'm so, you need to, so you need to turn the Zoom screen on. You need to hold your phone up. All right. Cue it to 30 seconds. All right. Ready, set, steady, go. Uh, Frankie Montas's value is, is high because he's a guy who's done it for a while now. He can be dominant at times, but what you get from Montas is innings. And and I think teams appreciate more than ever now guys who can throw deep into games. It's imperative in the playoffs, even when you do have your off days, that you have bullpens that are rested. And a guy like Montas can give you a rested pen. 29.7 seconds. Let's freaking go. All right. Uh, he's a future Cardinal, it would be my guess. Wilson Contreras. Uh Big, big question about his ability to go to a new team 
and learn the pitching staff. It's listen, it's been an issue in Chicago for his entire time there. It's why he hasn't been extended because there are questions about that. There are not questions about the bat though. And so I wonder if Contreras goes somewhere, if it's going to be in a hybrid DH catcher role where he picks up a few innings, but more than anything is there for a stick 28.8 seconds. Very nice. Uh, some of the relievers uh, who are potentially available, like I'm thinking of David Bedvar, Joe Mantiply. I don't know if either of those guys move because they have a ton of team control left. Let's look at Mantiply. He was a you know six-year free agent signing. The Diamondbacks got him for free. And so there better be a ton of return. And I just, uh, you know, I was talking with the GM earlier this week, and he was saying, if I'm going to trade for a reliever, it's going to be a controllable reliever. But it's still a reliever. Uh, there just aren't many guys out there which is forcing this 28.2 seconds. So here's, and I'll push back on you on this a little bit. Uh, that, that to me is the reason why you move him. <laughs> like I, you know, these are yeah. the hot stocks. I'm like, if any, these guys have, have value, then I'm, I'm flipping it. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, no, no. I, I don't, I don't disagree with you on that. Yeah. I just think that there were lessons learned from the Edwin Diaz trade, which insanely, has turned out well for the Mets, like against all odds with the way Jared Kalanick is is playing right now. Um, But Edwin Diaz is also a freak. And uh, I think you, you tweeted it this morning, 81 punches in 40 and two thirds innings. I mean, it's the highest strikeout rate we've ever seen. It's absolutely unbelievable what he's doing right now. And um, I, I just don't think teams anymore, like they're not willing to pay above Chapman, like there's been a ceiling on reliever salaries. I think there's a ceiling on reliever return as well, because these guys are pitching only one inning at a time. I understand it's extremely high leverage innings, especially for teams that are in the playoffs. But the idea that someone's going to go out, not for Eddie Diaz, but for David Bednar and Joe Mantiply and give away the only family farm. No, I just don't see that being realistic. The Atlanta Braves. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to have a a big arrow in their quiver because I'm not sure that they need it. Their bullpen has been sneaky awesome this year, up with Baltimore among the best in baseball. They're starting pitching. You know, Ian Anderson struggled, but uh, Kyle Wright's emergence has been great. And their lineup, especially if and when they get Albies back, is going to be huge. I could see them doing what they did last year and staying small, 29.9. I just got in under. Staying small was a bad dismount. I wonder about Jack Peterson reunion. Like, as we go down and the Giants collapse here, if that's something potentially could happen. Uh, Red Sox, uh, last night we heard from their executives. They're like, we haven't even talked about Bogarts. We haven't talked about Devers. They're not saying that about J.D. Martinez. What do you got? Yeah, I understand why. They're, they're a team right now that is frustrating, is disappointing, and is supremely injured. And if all of these elements weren't conspiring at the same time, I don't think that the the organization would have the motivation to do so. Uh, the, the thing here is they're the Boston Red Sox. They're over 500 and they sell like context matters, but that's still a really difficult thing to swallow. 
Yeah, and just to follow up on that, Hein Bloom, Sam Kennedy uh, were making around yesterday and sort of pushing back against this idea that the the Red Sox aren't spending money. My question, if I were if I were a beat writer covering that team, to those guys would be, wait a second, you traded Mookie Betts because you didn't want to pay him. You mm-hmm. gave Xander Bogarts an embarrassing extension offer of mm-hmm. one year. Mm-hmm. You know, you offered him fifty million dollars less in the package than what you just gave Trevor Story. And you just tried to compare Raphael Devers to Matt Olson in your negotiations, which, by the way, has made executives with other teams laugh. Who exactly are you going to pay? And are you really a big market team? Hey, Buster, isn't that the history of the Red Sox, though? Four for 68 for John Lester? Like, this is, this is, I mean, this is kind of par for the course for them. And, uh, you know, when, when bad things happen, um, you learn lessons from them. That's how you grow as a person. That's how you grow as a business. Based on their offers, the the Red Sox seemingly have not learned those lessons. But I, I will say this. Um, everything High and Bloom does is calculated. And those calculations can work out incredibly well, as they did last year when the, the Red Sox were on the precipice of the World Series. And uh, those things sometimes go in the wrong direction. And uh, listen, I think when it's all said and done, the only thing the Red Sox are going to be judged on from this era is if they kept Bogarts and or Devers. Like you have to keep at least one of them. You should keep both of them. Yep. A hundred percent. And last one, the Orioles. What do you got? And I want the Orioles to buy. I know they're not going to. I know it's probably going to be a little buy, a little sell, which is the popular thing to do these days. And and as as you know, as Breaking Bad taught us, half measures are never the right way. Just go full send. Uh, but uh, reality is, they don't have enough talent to do that. So I could see some relievers potentially moving. Maybe Trey Mancini. Yeah, I kind of, Jeff, with them, I feel like, hey, you know what? Where your payroll is, you've got payroll flexibility. And if you take, let's say, yeah. $15 million into the marketplace right now, you can yep, do it. Forget can, trading yes. prospects. Yep. If you're willing to spend, you know, 10 to $15 million at the trade deadline, you're going to upgrade the team. Yep, and that's I, the next question about ownership is, are they going to be willing to do this after tanking for four years? I think the real question is going to manifest itself this winter, Buster, because when we're looking at the teams that could be the Detroit or the Texas of this upcoming offseason, and listen, I know those aren't exactly teams one wants to compare themselves to because the Tigers are a disaster after spending 200 plus million dollars on Javi Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez. And, you know, the Rangers, I, I, I will say this. Do you know what the Rangers record in one run games is? I was I was hoping that our brilliant sports and information group would come through before I got on the podcast with the actual numbers. Do you know what the Rangers record in one run games is? They are five and 23 in one run games this season. And according to ESPN stats and info, as it stands, this is from Brian Beasley, as it stands, the Rangers are tracking toward the worst win percentage in one run games since the modern era began in 1900. They are playing 179 baseball 
in one-run games. The previous worst is the 1935 Boston Braves, who were 7-31, and a 184 winning percentage. I'm not saying that the Rangers are by any means a good team. All I'm saying is typically one-run games even out pretty well, and the the absolute tilt in the wrong direction there is what is making the Rangers' season look as bad as it is. But bringing this back to the Orioles, the Orioles' buster are in position to be one of those teams this offseason. They should be major players in the free agent market. And I wonder if it's them, the Giants, and the Mariners who we're going to see really go out this winter, in addition to the the normal teams, you know, the the Mets. I think the Cubs probably spend, uh, spend on someone this winter. But uh, the Orioles have a chance with Adley Rushman up, with Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg and Grayson Rodriguez and Heston Kierstad and Colton Kowser and others coming to be good and competitive in the American League East. The, the one thing that's going to prevent them from repeating this is just the fallibility and, and reality that year over year, bullpens don't perform the same. And the, the Orioles bullpen is having an anomalously excellent year right now. And if anyone's going to trade relievers, honestly, it probably should be them. It'll be really fascinating to see what they do, given the fact that it feels like that they're getting some traction and they're actually hanging on the fringe of that uh, wildcard race. All right, Jeff, thanks for doing this. uh, And I will see you in Bristol next week. Stayed under the clock, Buster. Thanks, buddy. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, uh, as we get going here, six days the trade deadline, your Red Sox at a tipping point. Uh, you had Sam Kennedy, team president, Hein Bloom, head of baseball operations out there saying, we're not going to trade Bogarts, we're not going to trade Devers. They didn't say anything about J.D. Martinez. What do you want him to do as a Red Sox fan? I think it's pretty clear, Buster. Blow it up. Blow it up. Nothing's going on. Here it is. It's late July. As you said, the trading deadline is upon us. This team is going nowhere. 
I was up there on Saturday the uh, afternoon after the Blue Jays almost put up a 30-burger on the Red Sox. They looked listless and flat. Blow it up. That's so funny. Uh, Taylor, I want to follow up with you on that. These two teams are literally side-by-side in the standings. you got Todd saying, "Uh, no, this is not good enough. We're not good enough. And if you're an Oriole fan now, you're saying bye, right? The entitlement that is just gushing through our Zoom call right now from one time right now is, is unbelievable. Oh, uh, knock 500 ball. Not good enough. I've seen multiple World Series championships in my lifetime. No big deal. No big deal. Whatever, Todd. One man's entitlement is another man's equity, Taylor. <laughs> and the desperation that surrounded the Boston Red Sox at the trading deadline in 2004 when they traded away a franchise icon in Nomar Garcia Para, and look what happened several months later. So we're coming at it from two different directions, my friend. Oh, my goodness. All right, Todd, let's get to this week's Phantom franchise. So, Buster, in 1988, the Chicago White Sox wanted a new stadium to replace aging Comiskey Park. Team owners Jerry Reinsdorf and Eddie Einhorn we're looking for a publicly funded facility in the Chicago area, but negotiations dragged on and on. They entered into serious negotiations with officials in St. Petersburg, Florida, who were offering up a fully subsidized $80 million domed stadium, the Florida Suncoast Dome, now known as Tropicana Field, home of the Tampa Bay Rays, which was under construction at the time. St. Petersburg reportedly outlined a plan that included a rent-free lease, a significant loan to the club, and regional television broadcasts to lure the White Sox south. They would have likely have had to play the 1989 season at Al Lang Stadium in St. Petersburg, which was to have been expanded from 7,500 to 20,000 seats. The team and St. Petersburg city officials agreed on the details for a preliminary 30-year lease but the White Sox continued to work both sides, saying that they had agreed not to move if Illinois lawmakers approved a lease on a new Chicago ballpark. Simultaneously, Illinois officials announced that they had reached a lease agreement with the White Sox for a new ballpark in Chicago, under which the White Sox would get a new $150 million stadium, a $2 million annual operating subsidy, and free rent if the team drew less than 1.2 million fans a year. All of this was contingent on the approval of the Illinois legislature, which was seen as a long shot. With a deadline looming and the bill to save the White Sox hanging by a thread, Illinois Governor James R. Thompson rolled up his sleeves and went to work. Thompson literally stopped the clock a few minutes before the mandated midnight end of the session and persuaded lawmakers to cough up the funds for a new stadium. The bill was narrowly passed, and the White Sox remained in Chicago, playing at today's guaranteed rate field, originally called New Comiskey Park, which opened in 1991. The Suncoast Dome got an expansion team in 1998, but the Florida White Sox came very close to being a reality, and they, Buster, are this week's Phantom franchise. And a natural follow-up to that, Todd, as you were running through it, would be to talk about the ballpark that they chose because there was a crossroad in baseball history at that moment. Please explain what that was. Well, Buster, 1990, 1991, you are, as you just said, on the cusp of a revolution, a revolution that bore fruit when Camden Yards, beautiful Camden Yards, 
Taylor's favorite ballpark <laughs> was unveiled to the public and it really broke new ground um, and, and set the tone for most of the ballparks that came after. And Buster, I would interject with the fact that when I was in LA for All-Star, I got a private Dodger Stadium tour from the great Janet Marie Smith, who uh, I have always said many times here, deserves a slot in the Hall of Fame. She changed the way we see the game. So to your point, New Comiskey Park, what could have been, could have been so much better. But that said, they did correct some errors. It took a little bit. Uh, and it's a pretty good place to see a ball game now. It's a pretty good place to see a ball game, and it's not Camden Yards. And I don't know if it could have been in that particular spot in Chicago because, uh, you know, the part of what makes Camden Yards so great is the, uh, the you know, seeing the city on the outfield skyline uh, that, uh, you know, so, but yeah, as you were going through that, I'm like, uh-huh. And then what happened next? All right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right, I will clarify the standings at this point in time. Buster leads the pack with eight. Sarah has five. And Taylor trailing with three. Maybe it's time to blow it up for Taylor. So here's this week's question. (laughs) Which of the following franchises has won every one of its World Series championship in a game seven? Is it the Royals, the Mets, the Cubs, or the Pirates? One of these franchises has won every one of its World Series titles in a seventh game of the World Series. Royals, Mets, Cubs, or Pirates? One of them has, you said. Only one of them has won every one of their titles in seven games. Every one of their titles won in a game seven. What was the number four? It was Royals, Mets, Cubs, and Pirates. Okay. Uh, oh boy, that is fascinating. Okay. I think I got my answer. What do you got? Uh, you want to start us off Taylor? I will go Cubs. All right, Sarah. I feel like it's the Royals or the Pirates. So I'm going Royals. I'm going Pirates. Buster, Buster, Buster. It is the Pirates who won World Series titles in 1909. I think you covered that series. 1925, (laughs) 1960, 1971, and 1979. Well, and and of course they defeated uh, Taylor's Orioles in uh, seventy nine and seventy one. So one of these days we're going to get a rematch. Two powerhouses when you and I were growing up that are uh, primed for a resurgence at some point. I hope so. Yeah, Taylor's blocked that out of his memory. <laughs> he but remembers you know the seventy one World the Series. Deadline, you're going to add a bunch of players, and this will be the year. This is it, boys. World Series or bust from fourth place to world champions. <laughs> All right, Todd. Thanks for doing this. All right, everybody. Thanks. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. First up, our pal Regina Wilson writes in at Margarita Noir. Would Otani be the two-way player he is today if his development had taken place in the U.S. instead of Japan? No, it wouldn't have because he wouldn't have had a chance to do it. He would have been basically forced to declare by a team 
the reason why he's a two-way player here is because he established himself as a two-way player in Japan, and he had to leverage to talk to every interested team before he uh, joined the Angels and say, I want to be a two-way player and only agree to sign with the team that went along with the plan. So, no, it wouldn't have happened. Specialization in American sports. There it yeah. is. Tom Strauss at Tom Strauss writes in Buster. Could you explain the changes in the schedule next year? It sounds like the Mariners from the Mariners broadcast, like there will be fewer rivalries and more travel. What is the plan? Yeah, I've seen some reaction from colleagues in the media and they're like, woohoo, this is so much better. I think it stinks. Um, I grew up with a balanced schedule, you know, with the teams in the 70s would play an equal number of games across the board. They wouldn't play a division rivals as much. Uh, I don't think it works, but this is what they're doing next year. This is from uh, Jason Stark's original reporting on this in the spring. Uh, each team will play 14 games in each against each division rival. They'll play 60 games against the rest of the league, six versus each remaining team, and then they'll play 46 games of interleague play, three games apiece versus 14 teams in the other league, four games versus natural rival. Uh, Taylor, I, I you know I know you're coming from the perspective of an Orioles fan who has had an unfair schedule through the years, having to face the Red Sox and the Yankees. I'd rather face the rivals. I don't I don't really see the big juice about you know Yankees Rockies. Yeah, I guess on that end, it is a little blah. But I mean, to see the the Yankees, the Rays, the Blue Jays and uh, the Red Sox five fewer times each. I mean, that's that's appealing to me for sure. But I get why As it would be for the Blue Jays and for the Rays. Look, yeah. the schedule has been unfair for the against those teams in particular. Or if you're saying in the same division as the Dodgers, the Padres and the Giants now. I get it. Overall, though, it's it is kind of it does take a little juice out of it. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Corey Rucker at Corey R underscore 12 writes in is Major League Baseball crossing their fingers for an all New York World Series with both the Yankees and the Mets being real contenders this year. Yeah, I think in theory they would. But I will tell you this, and I don't know if this would apply because this is more than 20 years ago now. The two the ratings for the 2000 World Series between the Yankees, and the Mets, the Subway Series, they were down like it was clear that there were a base of casual fans who were like, you know what? I don't want this. I think that if you gave truth serum to folks at baseball, you know, in terms of a series that would be really highly rated, Yankees Dodgers would, would probably be number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit. If you had to start a rotation with a young star, would you go McClanahan or Manoa? Yeah, McClanahan has better stuff. I love Alec Manoa. I mean, he's just has such great personality. He has great presence. Um, I, I just turn think in terms of trying to build a winning team, and I don't mean this like Shane McClanahan's not a winning player, but I Alec Manoa is special. Like I just love watching him pitch. He's got the vibes. Last one for today. PK Steinberg writes in an idea to speed up the game and improve on field quality. Implement a designated fielder and remove his spot from the batting order. Go to an eight man lineup. Discuss. PK. No, come on. <laughs> what are we doing? There are a lot better changes we can make in the sport. Put a pitch clock in. I don't want to hear about an eight man lineup. If PK made that <laughs> one of his uh, patented polls on his Twitter feed, I, I would have selected shut up on there. So but oh, thanks for don't say that. PK's awesome. I love like, PK, but I always hit shut up on his polls. Shut you, up. It's an option. Taylor, never disrespect PK ever again. I'm ever. not telling him to stop sending his questions. I'm just saying <laughs> I, that's what I selected in the poll. He puts it in there. I, I, I didn't do it. <laughs> All right. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Thanks, everyone. And that's it for today. My thanks to Jeff Todd, Sarah Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. 
listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Requires Gemini device and additional paid subscriptions to watch Netflix and other third-party apps. Terms and restrictions apply.